continuing our way through First uh, Thessalonians, and we're in First uh, Thessalonians chapter two, uh, verses nine to twelve today. Uh, last week, if you remember, Pastor Brent talked about the the section before where uh, where Paul talked about how he was very motherly. Uh, with the Thessalonians in terms of how he cared for them. And today we're going to see Paul talk about how he's fatherly uh, with the Thessalonians uh, as well. You might remember that uh, this is a pretty new church plant in Thessalonica, maybe only a few months old. And right out of the gate, there has been uh, contention. Uh, This church started and it ruffled the wrong feathers And so they're facing a lot of opposition in the city of Thessalonica, so much so uh, that Paul had to to flee for his life in the middle of the night and move on to the next town. And some of the people from Thessalonica went to the next town to find him, and he had to continue to flee. Uh, This is how upset they were that uh, they started this work uh, in Thessalonica. And so just a few months into its existence, Paul is writing them a letter, uh, reminding them of some things, encouraging them of some things. As we get through the letter, we'll see that he's bringing some correction uh, to them uh, as well. But our passage today, uh, starting in verse 9, he says this, he says, For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil, we worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaimed to you the gospel of God. And so he's, he's calling their remembrance to their, his behavior while he was living among them. And his behavior, uh, in part, was that they worked, that they labored uh, and that they toiled. They worked uh, on behalf of the people of Thessalonica during this time that they were there. And, and not only did they just work hard, but it says that they worked day and night. Now, what Paul's not trying to do here, I don't think, is to give himself and and his brothers, Timothy and Silvanus or Silas, a pat on the back saying, hey, we were awesome when we were there among you guys. I don't think he's saying that at all. He's reminding them that they worked, that they labored, they toiled, they did so day and night. And and I think what we can see about the Apostle Paul, uh, and especially if you take kind of all of his writings uh, together, we see that Paul was not trying to live kind of the American dream of his day. Paul wasn't trying to live you know, the Jewish dream or the Israeli dream or whatever they might have called it back then. Paul worked hard uh, for the sake of the gospel. And specifically when he was in Thessalonica, he worked day and night sacrificing and serving others. Not because he was a glutton for punishment, not because he just liked to do hard things, but because God saved him. And he had a message to proclaim of salvation uh, to other people, both to Jews and to Gentiles. I was thinking about um, just kind of our group of pastors and, and what a privilege it is uh, to be one of the pastors of the door, but, but even more so uh, to pastor with Pastor David and Pastor Brent um, and just our like-mindedness of, of guys that kind of no matter what, we would figure out this pastor thing. Right, um, Brent and David are, are fortunate enough to be uh, employed full time by the church. I have a part time job myself, uh, so I'm employed part time by the church. But all of us, um, you know, just over the years have worked and labored and toiled for the sake of the gospel. And I don't share that to to pat us on the back either. Just that that this is God's work uh, in the life of the Christian, and what a privilege it is to get to participate in it. And I think this is kind of where Paul is coming from of just the privilege of getting to be. Uh, a shepherd of God's people, to be an overseer of God's people. 
He's reminding them of their labor and their toil, how they worked day and how they worked night. And one of the reasons that they worked day and night is that they wouldn't be a burden to anybody. Paul, I don't think, wanted to be accused of profiting from the gospel. Matter of fact, elsewhere in his writings, he talks about how it would be his right and his privilege as a minister of the gospel to make his living by the ministry of the gospel. But at times in his ministry, he would set aside that right and he would work as a tent maker. He made tents uh, kind of as his side gig so that he could keep food on the table and support himself. And one of the reasons that he did that is he didn't want anybody to think that he was traveling around trying to profit from the work of the ministry, right? And so he worked hard and, and this uh, labor and toil was just part of Paul's MO. This wasn't something that he did only in Thessalonica. This was his MO uh, for his life. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9, Paul says this. He says that you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that by his poverty you might become rich. I think Paul understood something here. Also in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul would write that, that those who have been reconciled to God have been given the ministry of reconciliation. In other words, if you've experienced God's saving grace in your life, now you go and proclaim that saving grace to others who have yet to experience it. And we see in the life of the Apostle Paul that, that he, he was somebody in the world before he came to faith in Christ. He was educated. He had an impressive uh, lineage or pedigree. He was respected. He was feared. And when he came to faith in Christ, his life got exponentially more and more difficult as time would go on because of the work of the ministry. Paul had a standing in the world and he writes to those in Corinth that, that even though Christ was rich, he became poor and, and that those who follow Christ, it would make sense that, that we would, even though we are rich, that we would become poor so that others could become rich in Christ. Right? That, that we would take the resources of our life, our time, our talents, our abilities, and that we would put them to work for the kingdom of God. Paul is writing this as he's doing it. Right? He's leading by example into this. And so he's reminding them of his labor, his toil, his day and night work, so that they wouldn't be a burden to anyone while we proclaimed to you the gospel of God. I think as, as Americans, or as, at least as Westerners, but certainly as Americans, we're, we're pretty good at compartmentalizing our lives, right? I got my work life over here, I got my family life over here, I got my church life over here, I got my hobbies yet over here, right? We compartmentalize these things. But Paul, what he's talking about here is working hard day and night in service to the people of Thessalonica so as to not be a burden to them and at the same time proclaiming to them the gospel of God, the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. As I thought about this this week, of, of course, you know, the kind of the plight of the pastor is that we, we get to stand up here and tell you to do things that we regularly fail at, right? Some, sometimes it feels hypocritical to stand up here and preach sermons. And this is one of those moments for me as I think about my own life, Right? I can stand up here every week and proclaim to you the gospel of God, but am I proclaiming the gospel of God Monday through Friday at my day job? Not always. Not always. This is a convicting passage because we see 
the Apostle Paul give up so much of his standing in this life so that he could help others gain standing in the life to come, right, into eternity. And so we see in verse 9 just Paul's commitment, and Timothy and Silas as well, and their commitment to working hard on behalf of the people for the sake of the gospel. Verse 10, he says that you are witnesses in God also how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct towards you believers. And here again, I don't think Paul is necessarily trying to pat him on the back and say, look how awesome we were among you. I don't think he's saying that at all. But he is calling to their remembrance that they witnessed their life and their ministry while he was among them. And he's pointing out and reminding them that, that we, we hid nothing from you. We worked in front of you. We labored and toiled in front of you. We served in front of you. We sacrificed in front of you. And at the same time, you saw our righteous manner in front of you as well. Certainly Paul, Timothy, and Silas, none of them were perfect men. Paul says of himself in other passages, he calls himself the chief of sinners. Right? Paul knows that he's, he's nothing awesome. Paul knows that he doesn't deserve a pat on the back. What he's reminding the Thessalonians of is that they lived upright lives in front of them as they sacrificed and as they worked and as they labored and as they toiled. They supported themselves in an effort to proclaim the message, but also, I believe, in an effort to embody the message as well. Think, think about this. You can proclaim the message of Christ. You, you can speak it, and we, we all should, right? We all should, but, but you've heard the phrase, words are cheap, haven't you? Maybe you've thought that. Maybe, maybe you have looked at someone else's life and listened to the words that they say and you think there's, there's not much behind you know, empty words. But when you proclaim a message and at the same time you live that message out as well, that's a powerful witness because your life backs up what you're saying and what you're saying authenticates the way that you live. Right? That, that's a powerful way to proclaim a message, to, to proclaim it and to embody it at the same time. And I think this is what Paul is getting at. That, that we embodied this message of the gospel of God while we lived among you. You saw our work and our labor and our service and our sacrifice, and you saw our uprightness and our, our righteousness. You saw our obedience to Christ. Therefore, give credence to our message because of how you see us live. That's a powerful thing. We, we, we live in a world today where our culture is very quick to call out the hypocrisy of Christians. And, and let's be honest, like we, not necessarily we in this room, but like we collectively, like we've earned that. We've earned that criticism uh, as Christians in the West. We really have. And, and Paul here is reminding them of how he lived among them, that they proclaimed to them the gospel and they showed them the gospel with their very lives. Therefore, the message deserves extra credence. In verse 11, he says that, you know how like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. And this is where we're going to spend the bulk of our time today. In the previous passage, like I said earlier, Paul says, you know that we were like a mother with you in the way that we cared for you. In this passage, he says, we were like a father 
in the way that we exhorted you and in the way that we encouraged you. Brent got the passage last week of speaking to the, to the, the motherly nature. And that's, you know, for us guys, we can't relate to that. But like, I can relate to being a father because I am one. I can relate to how a father exhorts his children and encourages his children. In Luke chapter 11, it says this, it says, What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then are evil, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? And we're given this analogy of even, even evil fathers, right, sinners, as broken and flawed fathers, we know how to be good to our kids. We, we know how to give good gifts to our children. How much more does our Heavenly Father, who is not sinful, who is not broken, who is not flawed, who is fully pure, fully righteous, the embodiment of love, how much more does He know how to give to us good gifts? And Paul is calling the attention of the Thessalonians to how he acted among them, even though a flawed man even though a sinful man, even though a broken man, that he acted towards them like a father. And what is it that he did as a father? He exhorted and he encouraged. Exhortation is to strongly urge someone or to, to place an argument in front of them so that they would come to your way of thinking. Paul didn't shrink back from the difficult conversations. And we see in, in the collection of his writings how he wasn't afraid to issue correction when correction was needed. But Paul did so in a loving way, and he did so in a gracious way, and he did so in a manner that pointed others to Christ in his exhortation. I don't know if you've ever had to exhort someone in your life, if you've ever had to approach a difficult conversation, not, not out of anger, right? I think we've all done that. But have you ever had to approach a difficult conversation with a deep love for somebody that you, you know that they needed to hear some hard things? And you brought those hard things to them, not because you were offended by their behavior, because you were angry at them, but because you cared about them. This is the exhortation that Paul has brought to the Thessalonians. He's not mad at them because this brand new church plant has maybe gone off the rails. It hasn't gone off the rails. He's not offended that, that maybe they've buckled under the persecution, which they haven't. He's not upset that just a few months into this thing that he's got to write this letter to them and, and set a few things straight. He's not angry about that. When he was with them, he, he exhorted them and had these hard conversations and strongly urged them first and foremost to believe in Christ. And now he's exhorting them to stay the course under this persecution that they're experiencing. Not only did he exhort them, but he encouraged them, or he, he gave them support and he gave them help in order to stimulate them in a direction that, that went towards Christ. Right? We, we, who, who among us doesn't like to be encouraged? Who among us doesn't like it when you get an email, a text, a phone call throughout the week from somebody that says, hey, I'm thinking about you, I'm praying for you this week. That's an encouraging thing, isn't it? Even just that simple little thing brings a smile to anyone's face. Paul, as a father, 
acting fatherly towards these people encouraged them. Think, think about this. Kind of like as we talked about with, with proclaiming the gospel and living the gospel, kind of both go together in a pretty powerful way, right? One authenticates the other. I think it's similar with exhortation and encouragement. When, when both come together, they come together in a pretty powerful way. If all we ever do is exhort people, if all we ever do is have the hard conversations, we come across angry. We can, right? It seems, seems like we've always got a bone to pick. If we only ever encourage one another, it, it seems like maybe we're soft and not willing to engage in the hard conversations. But Paul here masterfully uses these tools at his disposal of exhortation and encouragement in a way that, that people that knew Paul, that had relationship with Paul, would have no doubt that he loved them and that he cared for them because he encouraged them regularly and he exhorted them regularly out of love. At the end of the day, this helped him effectively deliver a message with both truth and compassion on his side. He exhorted them, he encouraged them in a fatherly way, and then he charged them, it says, charged them to walk in a manner worthy of God. That's a big charge. This charge is a, is a call to action, and so his exhortation and his encouragement would ultimately lead to this charge, this call to action for the Thessalonians. Paul isn't necessarily just calling them to belief, but he's calling them to a belief that leads to a particular way of living. And I might argue, if your belief doesn't lead you to a particular way of living, maybe your belief isn't what you think it is. The proof of our belief is how we live. Right? An example I've used before, it was a chilly morning this morning. And I got up and I went outside and I didn't put my coat on because it didn't look all that cold outside. But when I got outside, I realized it's pretty chilly, pretty chilly this morning. Somebody said it was 16 this morning. I didn't believe it was all that cold, so I didn't put on a coat. But if I believed it was that cold, I would have bundled up, right? Our belief always leads to a particular way of living. And our way of living always points to what our beliefs truly are. And Paul is calling the Thessalonians to a belief that leads to this particular way of living, this walking in a manner worthy of God. There may not be any taller order in the Bible than this charge to walk in a manner worthy of God. If we could walk on our own in a manner worthy of God, understand this, we, we wouldn't need Christ. There would be no need for Christ if we had it in ourselves, this ability to walk in a manner worthy of God. So what does it mean to walk in this manner worthy of God, this tall order? God demands from us perfection. God demands from us righteousness. God demands from us holiness. God demands from us at the end of the day, complete perfection in the way that we obey him. And if you know yourself at all, you know that it doesn't take long before we all go off of the rails, right? We're, we're, not, we're not capable of fully obeying God. But let's back all the way up to the garden, the first three chapters of Genesis. God created the heavens and the earth and the bugs and the fish and everything that you see. And at the pinnacle of creation, he creates humanity, Adam and Eve. 
And for a time, the relationship between creation and creator was perfect. It wasn't marred by sin. Adam and Eve had a perfect relationship with their loving and gracious father who made them. And it didn't take very much time at all before they decided we're going to do the, the one thing that God told us not to do. We're, we're going to do that thing. And they sinned. And they, they, the, the, the relationship at that point between creator and creation was forever marred by sin. And everybody that would come after Adam and Eve would inherit that sin nature from them, including you and I. And so the whole Bible is really a story of, of humanity not being able to walk in a manner worthy of God and God rectifying that problem through the person and the work of Jesus Christ. And so Paul charges them, calls them to a belief that leads to a particular way of living, and that particular way of living is to walk in a manner worthy of God. And so if we can't do this, which I think the Bible clearly establishes that we can't, then what? He calls them to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. Let me put it to you this way. Titus chapter 3, verses 3 to 8 says that we ourselves were once foolish disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. This is an indictment of humanity. But, he goes on to say, when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. The saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things, so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people. We're, we're reminded of our helpless state of, of being slaves to sin. We're reminded that we're foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to our passions and pleasures, hating one another, being hated. Not, not a good state to be in. But God called us into relationship with him. God, through Jesus Christ, is calling all of humanity into relationship with him, right relationship with him, erasing the effects of sin. And this is God's work and not ours. And so what we see in this passage is what, what does it mean to walk in a manner worthy of God? We're told that those who believe in God should be careful to devote themselves to good works. Now, what I don't want you to hear from me right now is me telling you to try harder to be better because that's not the gospel. Right? That's a lot of what we can hear sometimes. Try harder to be better. But that's not the message of the gospel. However, for those who follow Christ, we're told in Ephesians chapter 2 that God has prepared these good works for us beforehand, before the foundations of the earth were laid. He's prepared good works for his children to walk in not to try harder to be better so that we might 
think that we're earning some favor with him. Again, that's not the message of the gospel. But because we understand the message of the gospel and because we believe what he's done for us is true, that belief compels us to walk in a manner worthy of God, walking in the good works that he prepared for us beforehand. Not so that we can earn or that we can achieve, but because he's done for us what we could not do for ourselves. Because he's showed us grace and mercy and love and kindness and goodness. That it compels us to live the way that he calls us to live. I'll put it another way from 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9-10. to It says that you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. This last line about not being a people and not receiving mercy is a reference to the book of Hosea. You've probably heard me talk about this before, one of my favorite stories in all of the Bible. Hosea was a prophet that, that God had told him to go marry this woman named Gomer. And God told him beforehand that Gomer will be unfaithful to you over and over and over again. And Hosea went and married Gomer, and as God had said, she was unfaithful. And there came a moment where God told Hosea to go find your wife in the brothel and pay the price, even though she already belongs to you, even though she's your wife, pay the price and buy her out of this, this life of prostitution. Well, they had a couple of kids prior to this happening, and one of the kids, God said, name this child, not my people, and name the other one, no mercy. And after Hosea went and redeemed his wife out of this life of prostitution, God comes back to Hosea and says, this child who was named not my people, I want you to change their name to my people. And this child who you named no mercy, I want you to change their name now to mercy. And the point of that story is not, not that Hosea is this awesome guy, but, but that God is awesome. Right? The point of the story of Hosea is that, that we all, like Gomer, have been unfaithful to our Heavenly Father. The bride of Christ has been faithful, unfaithful to its husband. And even though God created us, and we rightfully belong to him. He sent his son, Jesus, to, to the brothel of, of this earth to come down and to redeem us from this life of unfaithfulness. What an amazing story that is. So think about this passage in 1 Peter. You can read it backwards and it might make a little more sense or in reverse order, it might make a little more sense to start by saying, once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you would not receive mercy, but now you have received mercy. Therefore, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who redeemed you from a life of unfaithfulness, called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. What a wonderful story that is. What a wonderful truth that is. It's more than just a story. It's truth. And so again, as we think about Paul's charge to the Thessalonians to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. Think about that. God calls you into his kingdom and glory when you don't belong in his kingdom. I don't belong in his kingdom. 
I can't produce my own glory, not in a way that matters in eternity anyway, and neither can you. But, but God calls us into that out of a life of unfaithfulness to a life of faithfulness to him through Jesus Christ. And Paul's charge is simply to walk in a manner that's worthy of that. And again, tall order. Tall order for us to do, but we're reminded in John three sixteen. you all know it, that God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Remember the context to whom Paul is writing, this brand new church who's being persecuted, this brand new church who's having a rough go. They're swimming upstream in their city. They're going against the current in their city. And Paul is reminding them of who Christ is and what Christ has done for him in these simple words and charging them to walk in a manner worthy of God who called you into his kingdom and to glory. What we might infer from that is that this persecution that they're facing, it's not much in the scope of eternity. It's a short time in the scope of eternity. What they have to look forward to is a kingdom that cannot be shaken and a kingdom that will not end. What they have to look forward to is all of the wrong things that they've experienced being made right one day. What they have to look forward to is tears being wiped away and death being abolished. And he's reminding them, stay the course. Continue walking as if you believe the gospel to be true. He might say to them, you believe the gospel to be true a few months ago, so much so that you responded to it, both Jew and Gentile. Religious and irreligious responded to the truth of the gospel. And a few months later, he's reminding them, stay the course. Walk in a manner worthy of God who has called you into his kingdom and glory. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9. I know I'm throwing a lot of scripture at you today, but I'm hoping it's painting a picture for you. 1 Corinthians 2, 9 says that it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. We can't even begin to fathom what's in the life to come. We can't begin to wrap our minds around it because we're finite and we can't fully grasp infinity. We're just not capable of it as hard as we might try. We're not capable of fathoming what God has prepared for us into eternity. Ephesians chapter 2 tells us that he would spend eternity pouring out his riches, his immeasurable riches in kindness towards us through Christ Jesus for all of eternity. We can't fathom that. And Paul is saying here, let that be the thing that keeps you going in this life. Let the thought of the eternity that you can't even begin to fathom be the thing that causes you to continue walking through the persecution and the difficulties because of your faith. Be reminded that Christ loves you and that he's done for you things that you couldn't even begin to do for yourself. And he will in eternity do things for you that you could not begin to do for yourself and that you cannot right now even wrap your mind around. And so his charge to walk in a manner worthy of God, I believe is a charge to live according to what you believe. 
that if you believe the gospel to be true, if you believe that Christ did for you what you couldn't do for yourself, that he's redeemed you from your sin, that he's called you into his kingdom and glory to spend eternity with him, if you believe that to be true, then live here and now as if that were true. And we get a glimpse into Paul's life of his work and his labor and his toil day and night, not to live some sort of a a version of the American dream, not to compartmentalize the things of his life between work and family and church and hobbies, but that all of it is in service to the kingdom of Christ and all of it is in service to calling others to walk in a manner worthy of God who is calling them into his kingdom and glory as well. Father, we're thankful today. Thankful that you love us and that you care for us and thankful that, uh, that you have called us into your kingdom and glory. Even though we can't fully fathom or wrap our minds around what that all even means or what it will be like, Father, we're thankful. And so I pray that you would help us. Help us to be faithful. Help us to be obedient. Help us to live lives that are worthy of the gospel of God. And we ask it in Christ's name. Amen.